Hello, this is Frank Falvey with Frank Presents. And again, it's my privilege and honor to welcome back Jay Elias. Sir, nice to see you again. Thank Jay, you. Jay, you're, you're with Dyer Lake. Uh, you're an attorney. That's right. And in and, and this program, we're going to talk about wonderful stuff like health care proxies. Okay. Well, there's, what's a health care proxy and why should I have one? Good question. You know, we spoke also before one time about pre-planning with funerals, for example. A healthcare proxy is consistent with the concept of pre-planning, meaning uh, that one of the best gifts you can give to others, including your healthcare providers, is expressing your wishes while you're able to make them known. So the idea of a healthcare proxy, it's called an advance directive. That's like the umbrella concept, an advance directive. It's a healthcare legal term. It means that in advance of a time when you're not able to communicate your wishes, you are directing how you want your healthcare to be uh, cared for, if you will, how you want your healthcare involved, who you want to make decisions for you. So in advance of a time when you're not able to make or communicate your wishes, you're directing, in this case in Massachusetts, how someone else will make decisions for you, an advance directive. Massachusetts is one of only a handful of states in the whole country that only recognizes one kind of an advance directive. And as you said, it's the healthcare proxy. Um, just down the highway in Rhode Island, they have two kinds of advanced directives. Most states have two kinds of advanced directives. One's the healthcare proxy, if you want, I'll explain that in a minute, and one's called the living will. A lot mm -hmm. of people have heard about living wills. Um, Massachusetts doesn't legally recognize a living will. Should I give you a quick primer on the difference and what they are, or mm -hmm. not yet? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So, a uh, healthcare proxy means this. I, at a time when I'm not able to make or communicate my healthcare wishes, I am going to appoint a proxy, somebody else, you, to make those decisions for me during the time that I'm not able to make or communicate them. So if it's a temporary situation, uh, I've been involved in a car accident. I'm rendered unconscious. I'm seriously injured. Medical decisions need to be made. And the healthcare team wants to know whether or not there's a consent for surgery, whether or not it's okay to do certain things. I can't make those decisions and I can't communicate them. So without any healthcare proxy, without any legal documents, those medical providers are going to do what they believe in their medical judgment is best for me. It's like the President of the United States when he goes in for some type of surgery, automatically the Vice President assumes the duties. And then once he's back to normal, he's President. Again. You know, it's a terrific example. I never thought of that before. But here's an interesting thing about that. If the law did not tell us that the vice president becomes the 
stand-in proxy during that period of time, if it didn't say that, that, that the, and, and the president did need to have surgery, without any, without any model in place, without any uh, determination as to who speaks for him next and all that, it would be something of a, a free-for-all. Maybe Congress would say, okay, we think we know what's best while the president is not able to communicate. Yeah. Um, same thing for a healthcare proxy. Um, if one doesn't have a healthcare proxy, then the doctors will, in their medical judgment, make decisions for the patient. And that can be great if the doctor has a relationship with the patient. If I have a car accident and I'm up uh, you know, in, in Maine or I'm in the far reaches of Massachusetts, the doctor doesn't have a clue who I am. Uh, I am at their mercy to make decisions for me based on their skill and expertise, but not knowing one whit about me. So the healthcare proxy says, I name my wife, let's say, as my agent. Should I become unable to make healthcare decisions and the doctors need a consent or, or, or need to sound somebody out about the treatment that they're proposing, they will turn to my wife who will stand in my shoes and make my decisions for me. Only while I'm incapacitated. Right. And like you said, when the president is out of surgery, then goes back. And I go back to being able to decide for myself. That's now, a healthcare proxy at its simplest. Now, one of the things, the person being named mm -hmm. probably ought to know that they're being named ahead of right, time. <laughs> right, right. So I, I, I believe you, you may have remembered when I, when I spoke at a program that, where you were present. Right. Um, I had a uh, business relationship with a family when I was practicing law. And uh, unbeknownst to me, uh, I had gotten, well, let me back up. I had a business relationship with the family. A health situation arose. The individual was hospitalized. His wife had already passed away. His daughter had passed away. This individual had a medical emergency. I get a call in the middle of the night from a hospital in Providence asking me if I could come in and speak to the doctor. And I was assuming that it related to my health law relationship with the hospital. No sooner had I gotten to the hospital and the doctor says, we need to make some decisions about Philip was his name. Um, and they start going through a litany of his medical conditions and what needs to be done. And instantly I realized, why are you talking to me? This has nothing to do with my law practice. Why are you talking to me? And they said, because you're his healthcare agent. And that was the first I had learned that I was Phil's healthcare agent. He had prepared a proxy. He had named me as the person who had had conversations with him and known what he wanted and I could speak for him. Well, that wasn't the case. I didn't have a clue, a clue what this man would have wanted. Um, and so what I said to the doctor was, I a pulmonologist in this case, um, I'm gonna rely on your expertise what I would like to do is I want you to do everything humanly possible to get Phil back to a place where I can sit down and say to him, what were you doing? Yeah. And let's talk about what you would want in the future should this happen again. So rule number one is um, you let your healthcare agent know that you are entrusting them with a tremendous responsibility. It's only fair. Today, 
it seems like I go a lot of different places and all they need to do is put in my name and uh, date of birth and all my history comes up. Uh, should, if you have, when do you have a healthcare proxy? Should you go to your primary doctor or how do you get that into your medical record system? So if you go to a healthcare provider now, they will ask you, as a matter of routine course, do you have a health care, do you have an advanced directive? And if you do, they ask that you provide them with a copy of it. If you don't, they may ask you, would you like to have one? They encourage it, and they may give you a, a form that they say you can use if you wish to, or they suggest that you create one and come back and provide to them. Same thing if you go to a hospital, one of the first questions that you'll be asked uh, is whether or not you have a health care proxy and advanced directive. By the way, a, a health care provider cannot refuse to treat you if you don't. And they can make no presumptions about what you would want or not want if you don't have one. But they have to ask. If I can say one quick thing, yeah. if I may. When someone passes away and they have a will, Yep. Okay, we all hear about people who've had a will and it's in the safe deposit box or it's put away in a vault or the, uh, the attorney who drafted it has the original document um, and the, the person who passed away had it in a place of safekeeping. That's great with the will because when someone dies, there's plenty of time to go through the probate process. Probate process, it could be months. When someone has a medical condition and a medical need, to have a healthcare proxy involved, it's right away. I had that car accident, they need to speak to my wife. You can use and you can make copies of that healthcare proxy and give it to every healthcare provider that you have and your agent, you could put a copy of it on your refrigerator, keep a copy, fold it up and put it in your license or your purse, your glove box. They all have the same effect a copy is as important as the original. But that, that's why my question about, if I give it to, to someone, right? A copy. A copy. Mm -hmm. Will they put it in my medical yes. record? If you have, if you just go show up to a doctor's office that you've never been to before and say, in, it's a cardiologist in town just in case I ever need you, can you just set up a folder and put this in? No. If you have a relationship with them, you've been a patient, yes. Simple as that. They put a copy in your folder, in your file, in your patient records. So if I'm in a, in a network, uh, the Milford Physicians Network. They're looking in the computer and it shows a copy and, and that shows, can scanned in there. Okay, so that's, I, I can rely on, on them putting that. In the network, correct. Uh, another type of, uh, is a financial uh, uh, power of attorney. Right. Uh, power of attorney works somewhat the same way. You can always change the healthcare proxy at any time you want. So it's not a a one and done thing. If one, the person passes away, you need to remember you got to change it. Uh, or if you find the agent passes away, you mean the person who right? Yes. Yes, if, let me say this, if I may. One of the reasons that people used to be and still maybe are a little uh, hesitant to sign a healthcare proxy is they feel that they're giving up control over their life. If I name somebody and then we have a falling out 
if I name somebody and they die, if I name somebody and, et cetera, et cetera, a healthcare proxy can be changed and revoked at any time. And even though, first of all, a healthcare provider is not going to turn to the proxy, the person you've appointed, the agent, unless you are not able to make and communicate your wishes. So someone can't say, I have the healthcare proxy, I'm making decisions for them just because they, they don't want the decisions that Frank's making, they disagree. If you can make your decisions known, they control, period. Even if you have a period of incapacitation and for some reason, for a moment, you have some moment of lucidity and, and you're able to communicate to your healthcare provider, you control. You want to revoke, all you have to do is say, it's revoked. It's got to be made known orally or in writing. You don't lose control ever. Um, and um, that's the most important thing that people need to know. They can change it at any time. They can revoke it at any time. But, but they have to let the healthcare provider know that they've revoked it or changed it. It's no good for you to just think, I don't want Mary named as my agent anymore. Right. You've got to go let the hospital, the doctors know that. Right. If someone is named a healthcare proxy and doesn't know it, and uh, like the circumstance that you had, right, can they decline being the healthcare proxy? Yes. And then it reverts back to the doctor. Yes, doesn't really revert back, but in a, in a way it does. That's right. The doctor doesn't have anybody to turn to to make those decisions. To make those. That's correct. By the way, um, it's always recommended to name a primary agent and an alternate agent. Let's say there's a situation where um, the agent can't be reached. Mm -hmm. So if there's an alternate agent, then, then they would step into the shoes. Uh, and it's never recommended, as in never, to name co-agents. You name one person. Besides healthcare proxies, there are power of attorneys that are in many respects similar. Yes. So uh, a healthcare proxy in, in Rhode Island, for example, they call the healthcare proxy a durable power of attorney for healthcare. Durable means that it survives someone's incapacitation. That's when a power of attorney for healthcare, a proxy in Massachusetts, springs into life is when someone's not able to make their own decisions. So it's durable. It, it survives when you're able to speak for yourself. There's also something called a durable power of attorney that's financial. So that when you should, if there should come a point in time in your life when you're not able to make financial decisions, uh, decisions about your daily activities of living, you can name somebody to have through a durable power of attorney to have the ability to make those decisions for you. But they have to be two separate documents, healthcare and everything else, two separate documents. And again, it's that whole concept of durability, surviving incapacitation, someone who knows that, that um, they're beginning to suffer from dementia, for example. While they're still of sound mind, they may wish to appoint someone through a durable power of attorney that's make decisions for them when they can't have control of the checkbook, take care of all sorts of decisions separate from the healthcare. 
So it's similar, but they need to be distinct. They need to be distinct. Yes, they do. Uh, and uh, the durable power of attorney uh, ceases uh, upon the death of the individual. I'll make that one even simpler for you. Yeah. All powers of attorney of any kind evaporate at the moment of someone's passing. They all cease. Healthcare, financial, durable, non-durable, they evaporate at the moment of passing. And, and that's when the will comes into play. Yes, sir. <laughs> if you have a will, that's when the will comes into play. That's correct. And tell us about a will. So a will is simply, uh, at its most simple, if I may, um, it's an opportunity for someone to say how they wish their assets to be distributed. That's a will. It has nothing to do with healthcare any longer because you've already passed away. Um, it's, a, it's a document that expresses how one's assets are distributed and to whom. Without a will, um, the state will determine based on what's called the laws of intestacy, meaning the laws of when there is no will. Um, which next of kin gets what and how it's distributed. And so um, if one owns something at the time of their death, a house in particular that's in their name, um, assets that are in their name alone, when they die, in order for the ownership to change to somebody else, a court has to appoint somebody to say, okay, how is this going to be distributed and who's going to be responsible for those distributions? So what a will does, it says, I named, I named Frank as my legal representative. They don't call them executors in Massachusetts anymore. Legal representative, personal representative to decide um, that my house goes to this person, my car goes to this person, the piano goes there. And so uh, a, a probate court will look at the will, make sure that it's been properly prepared, witnessed appropriately, and then basically bless the individual who was the executor, the legal representative, and give them the power to do what they need to do. I, I think all three things that we were just talking about need to be witnessed. How, how, That's correct. How, how many witnesses do you need? Just one two. or two? Two. You need two witnesses. Yes. And they physically need to watch you sign the piece of paper. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. And the idea is, is you know, very yeah. obvious to make sure that there is no untoward event, there's no coercion or duress. Um, um, certain people can and cannot be witnesses to documents. And um, it's, that's where it's best to talk to a, a, a state planning lawyer, for example. Um, Massachusetts, for example, though, allows someone to handwrite their own will, but it's strongly advised that you have an, a lawyer because if you don't have it properly witnessed or you make dispositions in the will that aren't allowed, you don't want everything to be set aside for what's really not necessarily an expensive proposition to have a lawyer drafted up. Um, I, I remember speaking when I spoke to a program where you were present that in, uh, in, a, in Ontario, Canada, for example, and in some states, uh, but you there was a, a picture of it. There was booklet. a story back in the 1940s of a of a farmer in Canada who uh, whose tractor overturned on him, and he etched into the fender, "If I die, 
I want everything to go to my wife. And, uh, yep, and there's the picture of the tractor and his etching. And that was his, he intended to be his will. He was taken to a hospital and fortunately he died. And there was some dispute in the court whether or not that constituted a will. It's called a holographic will, which means it's not witnessed. Mm -hmm. In Canada and Ontario at the time, they determined that it met all of the criteria of a will. He anticipated he was dying. He wanted his wishes known. There was no one to witness it. In Massachusetts, it wouldn't fly. You have to have it witnessed. So um, it wouldn't fly in Massachusetts. No, no holographic wills are not allowed. You it, it has to be but witnessed. But it must it must be allowed you can, as as consideration of what it, the person's. And a probate intent. court would look at that fender and say that's exactly right. But it's not going to treat be treated as a will. Right. It would be guidance. Right. Now, covering wills again. Your home, you and your spouse have, either one of you die, it automatically goes to the other person. Your, your, your bank accounts are in both names. You die, it goes to the other person. Um, your life insurance policies, you've named a beneficiary. I mean, a lot of the assets that an individual has, okay, probably, you know, the overwhelming part. That's correct. What's your argument that you still need a will? Or well, is there an argument? Well, there are other assets that you may own that you want to make sure that they are, whether or not they're, uh, where there have been no designation of a beneficiary, um, where you hold other savings accounts that are in your name, for example, or a checking account in your name alone. Um, some people think that they own a piece of property jointly. You're referring to joint ownership. Um, and they don't really, it's just in their name. They never got around to changing it, for example. So there are assets that you wanna make sure are properly distributed. But part of good planning, and I'm not an estate planning attorney, but part of what good planning is, is to do what you said, basically. Um, when you have a joint account, both parties own 100% of what's in there. When you own property jointly, they own 100% of that property, not half and half when it's joint. Life insurance, you've designated a beneficiary. There are a lot of bank accounts where you can designate a beneficiary upon death. That doesn't go through a will. Yeah. So it's other assets that you might have. Designated beneficiary. Yeah. Most retirement plans, you've designated a beneficiary. Now, th there is one, when my children were younger, uh, minors, there is the consideration that I'm sure most people today never even cross their mind to designate who you would like. A guardian. Guardian. Correct. Correct. And that's still an important part of a will and or trust documents um, for families with children who are minors. Absolutely. Or even adult children who have um, medical dependent needs, for example, to be able to name a guardian. That's exactly right what you've said. So the the probate court, yes. you mentioned that if we don't have a will, it goes to probate. Or even a will, doesn't a, even a will go to probate? Yes, if it goes to probate. Pro, uh, the idea of probate is, that is, is confirmation by a court that a will is what it purports to be, that it's valid, it's legal, and then it allows the people who are in charge of that will 
to have the power to go to the bank, the power to go to, to transfer the real estate. Because I can't just go and say to a bank, I'm named in the will. They want to see proof that there's been an appointment through the probate court. Um, and there are probate courts in every town and city throughout Massachusetts. And, um, and you go to the local probate court. Do you have to name an executor of the estate or? Well, or? it's called a legal representative now, a personal rep legal representative instead of an executor. But, but yeah, the executor, by the way, and again, it's, it's a representative in Massachusetts under what's called the Uniform Probate Code. It's a, it, the law has changed to get rid of the word executor. Um, their role is to make sure that the will is carried out they are not necessarily a beneficiary. They don't necessarily take under the will. Their job is to make sure that what you've written in your will gets carried out and followed. And, and so a court will appoint them to be able to have the authority to, to do just that. But say a car, right? Yeah. You don't mention who's going to get the car in the will. They just go and sell the car, right? No, you can mention who's going to get the car in the will. No, but if they don't, if it's not mentioned in the will. Right, but who's going to go sell the car is the question. The executor. Right, but if there is what, not one named, I'm saying, then you need the court to be able to say, okay, there are, you have the ability to do so as the next of kin, for right. example. So if you, if you don't name specific items, right. the executor. If there are assets, there's going to be no, that's right, the executor can make the, Typically, a will will say all other assets are to be distributed equally among my. Oh, okay. And then the executor, again, we don't refer to that, but the executor, so to speak, makes that decision makes and has the ability to do that. To do that. That's right. Legal and ethical issues in healthcare law. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess uh, one of the, here uh, you, you're covering um, According to the Centers for Disease Control, in 2021, for example, American women had a life expectancy of approximately 79 years, compared with men who had a life expectancy of. So, I think the point the point in in that handout about legal yeah. and ethical issues is we are living longer than we were years and years ago. Um, and a lot of these decisions um, should be made while we're still capable and competent to make them um, because we are living much longer. Um, and, um, and to get that back to that planning in advance f for everything we do. My ethical dilemma, and this may kill me someday because okay. I refuse at times to sign this little screen that they have when you go to a doctor or hospital, I mean, why, are, I mean, are people just so fed up and, and, and feel they have no choice and are under duress that they, ha they just sign the screen and have no idea what they just signed? And even, even, even when you're signing the screen, it says that you'll be given a a privacy policy on what the privacy is. HIPAA. I've never seen, I've seen people sign the screen and they never are handed this privacy policy. I mean, I feel that the medical general hospital population 
has me on a gun. Either I don't get medical thing or I have to bow to their wishes. Where are we ethically? <laughs> That's a very uh, complicated question. Um, first of all, you absolutely have the right to understand everything that you've been asked to sign. Second of all, and get a copy of it. And get a copy of it. And the HIPAA, which are the privacy regulations, you're entitled to know the policies on those things. Um, does it happen frequently that somebody at the, at the clerk, the administrative offices, when you first go there to sign in, says, okay, let me explain things to you? No, it doesn't happen. It happens very infrequently. But you do have a right. And you do have, there is an expectation that you should be involved in your health care decisions. There's the theory and there's the practical reality. And the practical reality is the frustration that you're experiencing. But you do have the right. I, I, I don't, I, I can't give you a better answer than that because the answer is yes, you're entitled to be able to know what you're consenting to or not consenting to and what policies and and and, and uh practices are applied to you. You have that right. So if I feel... But duress, I, that's, a, that's a tough one, duress. But if you feel that you're not getting the answers, you are entitled to them. No, it's not that I'm not getting the answers. I feel that the language in the agreement, you know, like my dermatologist the other day gave me a piece of paper, right, to sign that said... I understand that I am financially responsible for any service not covered or allowed, but not paid due to the terms of my insurance coverage. I'm under a, a, a United Healthcare retiree a advantage uh, plan. Um, by law, they have to take. Uh, uh, whatever the that insurance provides, I refuse to sign it. Right? They refuse to see me. The only time they cannot refuse to see you is if you present with an emergency. Uh, there's a law, MTALA. It's called the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act. Other than that, uh, yeah, they can refuse to treat you if you don't cons if you don't agree to be financially responsible for what your insurance company doesn't in a non-emergency situation. And unfortunately, that's what you encountered. Um, is it right? It doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. Um, and you did what when you said no? They said then, I'm sorry, Mr. Falvey, we can't right. care for you. And so out the door you I'm went. True. Right. Is that wrong? Yes. Is it legally wrong? Unfortunately, no. It has it's to be legally wrong. I'm, un, I'm under, well, I don't want to get into it. Right, right. I, I, I don't the, want the, to do that. The point but, is, that is yeah. one of the biggest dilemmas that we have now is health insurance, health care coverage, and the cost of health care. But I, I, Which is a little bit beyond of this, uh, this conversation. Yeah, right, but, right. It, it is. So. But I... I Genuinely appreciate your frustration from that. I say that sincerely. So someday that will probably kill me. Um, uh, just um, you have here uh, who you should select as as your healthcare proxy. Yeah. And and you say it's not necessarily 
uh, your who you family think it's going to be. It's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be who you think it needs, it should be. Um, and so, very succinctly, let me just say this. It needs to be somebody who understands when they're talking to a healthcare provider what the healthcare provider is talking about. So if I'm, named, if, if I'm naming you as my agent, I want to know that you're understanding what the doctors are telling you. If it's somebody who has a very limited capacity to understand for whatever reason, they're not going to be a good agent for me because they're not going to be able to make informed decisions for me. So it's also got to be somebody who's not going to fall apart uh, because of what's happened to me. If, if they can't sort of pull themselves together because they're so emotionally wrapped up in whatever it is that's caused me to be incapacitated when, for the healthcare proxy, they're not going to be able to be of help to me. So it's got to be able to be somebody who has the fortitude to step up to the plate and do what's best for me. It should also be somebody who is um, able to be reachable. You know, if I have a son who's climbing mountains uh, halfway around the world, what good's it going to be if I have a, a medical emergency and I need a healthcare agent and they can't locate him. So it's all those kinds of things that make for um, a good agent. Mm -hmm. And the, the final thing is it gets back to that first conversation that you and I yeah. had about that, that client of mine who named me. Right. The most important thing is you have to have a conversation with the agent so that I know what you really would want and I understand it. And when I'm asked to make decisions for you, I'm doing what I know you want, not what I think is best for you. Right. So you got to point somebody who says, I may disagree with Jay, but I know he wants X, Y, and Z, even though I would have chosen A, B, and C. And even though the family, particularly the family, might want something says, else. What are you doing? What are you doing? And the answer is, your father entrusted these decisions to me for a reason. I have to respect your father's wishes. And it may be the hardest decision you ever made, and it may make you very unpopular, but you're honoring the person who entrusted their life to you. Correct, correct. Well, um, is it, one second, just for me. You, you have in here do's and don'ts, what you should do and what you uh, shouldn't do. Um, for the healthcare proxies? Well, it's pretty much for the healthcare proxies. That's yeah. correct. Uh, and so we've covered that then really, right? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think we've... we've Make uh, known your wishes to anybody who listen and give them a copy. So that's the, what's that's a the big difference do. between guardianship and conservatorship? Well, at its most elemental, a guardianship is, is caring for, being appointed by a court to care for decisions about a person and conservatorship is being appointed by a court to make decisions for a, a person's with regard to their finances. Um, and um, they're both court appointed when someone can't care for themselves. One can be a guardian with financial powers, but they, they can be also be divided between the person and their finances and it's through the court system and typically the probate court as well. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to uh, close with? I think we've covered quite a bit of territory. 
<laughs> quite a bit. Um, no, I think I think in the final analysis, I think um, there's an expression: it's your life, it's your choice. Um, and I think um, all these things that we've talked about in our couple of times of talking get down to um, keep control of your own life by making decisions and uh, doing as much for yourself while you're able to, pre-planning on all these things, health cares, funerals, whatever it may be. Let your voice be, be heard through documents. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's the takeaway I would like to think. Well, I would like to s say that apparently Dyer Lake is an extremely uh, wonderful funeral home and, and its services uh, seem to really be geared to compassion and, and proper uh, ways of handling uh, end of life. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it was a pleasure. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I think w for uh, Frank Falvey and Jay, uh, we hope you take what we've said or discussed uh, seriously. Uh, if you uh, have any feedback, is it all right if they reach you at uh, Dial Lake Funeral uh, Home? Absolutely. It's in North North Attleboro, Attleboro. and just, you can just look us up on, on the internet and just ask for Jay. Thank you for watching. We uh, truly appreciate it. This program was made possible by your Franklin friends and neighbors. Good folks, just like you. Thanks for supporting Franklin TV. And thanks for watching.